Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. So before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all the dads and mums out there that are listening to the show. The reviews and the feedback have been amazing, and I'm really grateful for all your support. A special shout out this week goes to Japan. The podcast made it to number 91 in the Apple podcast charts there last week. The podcast has also reached number 57 in Canada and 101 in the UK. Um, And there's listeners now in Brazil, Australia, Germany, India, USA, Japan, and the UK. Um, I'm really excited. I've no marketing plan. I have limited social media. So I'm really excited to be reaching far and wide and to continue the trend and help the momentum please go to Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already done so, subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a review. This will help more people find the podcast. And now to my guest this week. I invite you to listen to my conversation with David, an old friend and local teacher. We will be discussing his approach to parenting as a teacher, raising young kids with an age gap and keeping the magic of Santa alive, meeting kids where they are at with their activities, meeting strangers in the dog park, and that old issue that we all know so well, sleeping. There are some great golden nuggets to take away with another debrief with our favorite psychologist, Todd Kettner. And apologies for the sound with Todd. Um, I deleted the audio and I had to re-record from video. So my apologies, but there is some great information, so it's worth a listen. Um, And now for my guest this week, David, please enjoy. David, so grateful for you to Hello. make the time to do this. Um, missed you. Haven't seen you actually for ages. So I'm glad that we can, this podcast adventure, you can jump in on. And it's a great excuse to connect. I've actually got my uh, got a little special drink here on the sidelines. Oh, nice. You have two. <laughs> Perfect. It's Friday. It's like it's the end Friday. of the day. What a yeah, great this, day to this wind This is out. the pub. This is it's the new virtual pub. Um. Well, maybe we could just start actually with just for anyone listening that if you could just like introduce who's in your house. Yeah, well, I'm actually uh, podcasting from my basement. Uh, so there could be little rompers upstairs. We could hear some thumping around. Yeah, two kids, two boys. And um, uh, the oldest is 10 years old. And then there's a six year gap. So the little guys just turned four. Okay, that's which is actually the same as Seth and Indy. That's the same. There you gap, go. Much. Yeah. Five and a half years, six years. Yeah. Which is a good gap so far. My experience is that's been a really positive experience. Well, it's got its own challenge. I mean, it's got some challenges like the extension, extending that kind of parenting timeline. 
but yeah. um, but there's like there are some unique kind of unique characteristics, I guess, say, I guess the advantages. Uh, one thing that's just come up is around Christmas. So uh, Tig is now 10. He's, you know, fully in the kind of reality of the world and that Santa's not going to come down a chimney that we don't have. And Whoa, whoa, like, no, one, no one's told me that yet. My dad <laughs> yeah. still hasn't admitted that. Earmuffs. <laughs> whoa, yeah, let's just, whoa, whoa, scale it But back. so he's come along, like we brought him alongside now and he is fully on board to like keeping that magic alive. And so he's, he's kind of like got that insider secret with the adults in the, in the house. And, that sounds pretty and, cute. Yeah. We always have a little wink and yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That, I love that. That's so great. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to start with actually was just to acknowledge um, kind of where we met because it really was a big, it was a part of the, a big transition for me as a new dad coming into the world, um, sort of rebirthing almost into almost being an adult at this point, which I'm almost 40, but it was a big shift for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can now, I can't remember the very first time we met, I'll be honest, but I, what I really remember is meeting you at the dog park. And we, I remember having a long conversation with you. It was a great conversation. Uh, the first of many, um, and two weeks later, I remember a phone call. And that was when you said, can you come and give a talk to the graduates about the Great Bear Rainforest? And I did. And then after that, I sort of, I put myself forward to take those grad kids and the principal up to Bella Coola. And That's right. that was the start of creating an outdoor program. And yeah, it was just a, a big jump into... Yeah, this, I think I remember actually you even making a comment at some point about it being the first regular job I'd ever had, which is not far from the truth, actually. Uh, yeah, it was just, I just want to thank you for that. I mean, that really was, and just also being another parent with a young child. And you were one of very few, actually, that I know or did know at that point that I could talk to about anything around parenting and just... Yeah, it was just a really nice connection that we had in that sense. And I've always appreciated that. I don't think I've ever actually thanked you for oh. opening that door to me, but it was a, it was a big well, thing. Thanks, um, I just, um, you know, we must have met <clears throat> on various social occasions before the dog park incident where I we did, yeah. recruited you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had my own <clears throat> my own agenda there, which was I had this group of youth that were um very i don't know what the word is maybe unsettled but also very like insulated like they knew there was a big world out there they felt i think a lot of times growing up in a small town you feel a little bit trapped or a little bit stifled and also a little bit preoccupied with your own issues and so i just wanted them to like go see something that was different that would you know they wouldn't forget yeah it was pretty cool getting just seeing how that picked that traction picked up so quickly and it was obviously such a thirst for it that you came on board with self-design and started up an outdoor ed program and all that it was great special experience for me for sure and uh, actually even just recently i bumped into uh i joke that you know i don't know what i'm thinking but i'm taking up skateboarding i started skateboarding last year yes. Now, in that first year, the, one of the kids, um, 
young adults, to be honest, they were young adults, and was Danan, who always had a soft spot for Danan um, from Argenta. And he was a huge skateboarder, and I'm sure still is. Uh, but actually, just recently, I bumped into him at the skate park in Nelson, and we had a really fun right connection. And yeah, he just had a big smile when I started telling him about how I how I'd taken up skateboarding, how excited I was for it. Um, and he got to see Seth, who's now he saw Seth as a baby. He's now seeing Seth in the skate park, age seven. So that was super fun. Um, so what? And so building off of that backstory. I'm wondering, because I think about this often, I think about my, I was a teacher there for a few years as an independent teacher, but prior to that, I've done outdoor education in all sorts of, um, you know, ways, lots of teamwork and leadership work with, and again, all ages, actually, you know, in all different scenarios, climbing centers, expeditions, and things like this. And I feel like I channel, sometimes I feel like I channel every, every moment of those 20 years of experience into being a parent and you know, the patience that I've learned over the years, um, how to engage, um, uh, lots of little tricks up my sleeve, how to get their attention, things like this. So I just wonder as a teacher, has it made you a better parent? And is it, do you pull on any of that experience? You know, it's hard to say because I was a teacher before I became a parent. I often think about it more uh, in the opposite direction that my parenting has informed and evolved my teaching. Mostly often, I think just thinking, and I work with high, you know, adolescent youth, but to see that child through the eyes of this is somebody's kid, instead of it being, you know, some shit that can't can't do this right, is constantly pushing your buttons kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think I, I've developed a greater sense of empathy for where these kids come from. Also, okay, on the other hand, as an educator, I definitely see my the way that I interact with my children. I do observe and uh, <clears throat> I guess more intentionally, I would say more or less, but I do intentionally nurture learning experiences especially ones that are like a little bit outside of the box of like whatever the conventional thing that kids do at that age. I'm always like poking around and introducing them to something, something new that they haven't yet tried out. I guess that's kind of the the place I like to position myself is sort of lead them to the discoveries of what's to come. So build their curiosity. Totally. Yeah. You know, just what something I just thought of actually was, uh, and I wonder if this would translate into, you know, the education system, uh, is that the, the kids, certainly at the young age that I've seen, when I look at my two boys, and I, I, comp- I don't really compare them, but I, I, you know, in terms of looking back at like, you know, the seven-year-old and how the two, the, he's nearly two, not quite, he's going to be two in January. The two, the nearly two-year-old is way ahead in terms of his language and he's way ahead in a lot of, but Seth has always been, I think, a sensitive kid. He's a bright kid. He's very intuitive. It's really interesting seeing him grow. He's great to talk to and have conversations. Indy is just this other powerhouse. Uh, I don't know if he's as sensitive. He's like quite a, <laughs> a bit of a, he's a bit of a charger in the, in the funnest possible way. 
but mm-hmm. seeing them and knowing that you know what they all catch up at you know they all catch up at some point and i know seth is a bit behind interestingly at uh, school with his reading over in the uk because he started kindergarten here and they don't push the academics in the same way so he's a little behind but i'm not worried because i know he's going to catch up and i wonder if as a teacher when you see kids that aren't quite you know one's not quite getting it and one is whether that kind of yeah do you know what I mean? I think, totally. I think it would make sense. Well, um, you know, t- to preface that, I, I guess my point of view, maybe on the opposite side of the spectrum from the, the British system, and I, I work kind of on the fringes of the Canadian system, Yeah, which is really about uh, independent, self-directed learning um, to not peg students um, at, a, at these generic sort of generic levels and to let them grow and unfold and follow whatever their strengths and passions are at the moment and let those other kind of challenges be something they pick up at a later time when they're d- more individually developmentally ready rather than this sort of like all ages, all kids at this age should be able to, yeah. you know, read whatever text Shakespeare. hundred percent. No, it's really interesting to, yeah. I mean, I, it's, I've got two, two boys now being raised in such a different way. I mean, I found it hard to be in that system. So I love where you're coming from with that. Yeah. When it comes to, um, when it comes to learning, I really believe that there's a big difference with intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Okay, so like if you become aware as a child that you are challenged with some kind of skill and then you have to get special help to do it, the way that that is brought to you, like if it feels like a punishment that you're getting tutoring, there's a good chance you're developing uh, psychologically barriers to ever overcoming that challenge, you're going to start avoiding it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I believe that, I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to reading specifically, especially early on in your life, it's just really exposure and practice and you got to find something that you love and it's got to be better than whatever's on TV. Um, So as a teacher for you, then just as we're on this topic now, like, you have, and I just like off the top of my head, you've got homeschooling, <laughs> Waldorf, Wildflower, St. Joseph Catholic, South Nelson. Um, I don't know if there's more. There's, uh, there's even a francophone school that you can francophone, get, right? You can get in if you buy into the French immersion aspect. And like, yeah, I think as a, as an anglophone parent, you have to basically commit to learning French, right? But yeah. people do it. Wow. Um, phenomenal phenomenal i managed to get it out um it's been a long week that's pretty amazing because i mean what are we now 10 15 000 in nelson like that's the town size services 35 000 something like that. there's a lot of choice so how do you decide like what's what's the motivating factor for you and is it an easy decision for you and jana i mean you guys i feel like to me you're very similar worldview well, yeah, and we didn't, um, we definitely didn't necessarily agree as in like in terms of our ranking of preferences. 
And um, I have to say, it's actually easier to sort of objectively, for me personally, rank them objectively as an educator, what I like and dislike about different options. But then when you factor into what your child, what disposition your child has and all the other factors, not just the academics and education, but the social elements, um, even possibly practical things like tuition costs and, uh, you know, like the drive and all that kind of stuff might factor into it. But um, we, with our first, our first boy, Tig, he's, you know, it really emerged that he has, he was a very sensitive child, very sensitive to loud noises, to um, just commotion in general. And we knew that he would not be able to thrive in a, in a large classroom. And, you know, Wildflower offers these classrooms that are very dynamic and a wide age range of different grades inside a classroom. But it felt like that was going to be, like I liked the concept, but it wasn't right for my child. So there's all of those things that come into play. And I have to say, like, like a lot of things, when you go shopping and there's a lot of options, it actually almost becomes a burden to have to like get, <laughs> it's a burden and it's, it's a great thing to be able to like look into it and try and choose the right one. But you know, back in the day when there was just Colgate and Crest, you had two toothpaste options, and now I'm I'm overwhelmed when I have to try try to find the right toothpaste for me, <laughs> so for my true. wife, and for my yeah. boys. Totally. <laughs> and so where so where did you go with that? Like right now, where are the boys at? We uh, we're kind of like this new modern post modern post post modern family that doesn't actually have to commute to work. We both work from home. Well, we started out we started out with homeschooling and. Um, and that kind of home learning was actually through a, a registered independent school, which I work for self-design. So it was very familiar to us. It, uh, you know, we're lucky to be able to work for a organization slash school that strongly aligns with our values, both as parents and educators. So um, it was kind of like a slow start in a way. And a lot of people who choose self-design option are looking for sort of a natural learning environment. And I, when I say natural in this case, I'm not exactly necessarily meaning the outdoors, although the outdoors is part of it, but it's about not pushing an agenda of what the child needs to learn next to be like successful. It's not that we, we don't know, we, we, we don't pretend to know for every single, every single child what is right at the right time, but we watch. And that's kind of where the parenting part comes in um, to be observant of what their interests are, what they're, what they're trying to develop, um, where they want to spend their time. And this worked um, really uh, amazingly astounding for Tig. He, uh, at the, you know, at the age of five, six was very clear about what he loved doing and what he wanted to do next and he would spend hours upon hours working on those kind of basically creating projects for himself to work multiple days uh so it's very easy to support him doing so that when he's doing that is he the basics of reading writing and the math those side of things are they 
Is he learning that through the process, whatever projects he's working on? Is that part of it? Well, it, yes. And it, that doesn't necessarily, um, that doesn't necessarily just happen organically. Um, so that's kind of where you have to watch and you have to kind of sort of tease him what's, what comes next. Uh, so I'll just give an example, like one of the first games he learned to play was Snakes and Ladders, Shoots and Ladders, maybe they call it. In um, no, Snakes and Ladders. It's, yeah. Snakes and Ladders, okay. Yeah. Um, and so that got him into, you know, rolling dice and counting. And then, you know, so he was really into it. But instead of us playing that same game for months on end, it's about exposing him to like what are the more complicated games that involve multiplication and like adding dice together. And so he was doing, I mean, all these resources exist. You do, if, as if you're not an educator, you may need some support helping you find them, but you know, our local library is a good resource. Um, yeah. We even have a, a, a toy lending library that's in our- Oh, incredible. We just signed up again for that. Yeah. Yeah. Resource. And it's not just straight up toys necessarily. There's all sorts of learning kits available yeah, yeah. there. Um, so yeah, it's it's about knowing when to kind of bring in the bring bring in the next level stuff for them to be exposed to it and get it. And if they don't get it, like don't feel like you have to make them get it. You know, and just kind of move on, move on to something else if it didn't work out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was is very. A very rewarding couple of years there. But you have um, to be very engaged as a dad in that sense, oh yeah. right? Like you, you're you in, yeah. the, and you're I, into and the and learning you know, cycle. For sure. Um, and I'm not going to take all the credit there because. No, no, sorry. Mom, I just, but yeah, yeah. I, I can see yeah. mom being pretty heavily involved. But, but as parents, I mean, let's say you as a dad, but like, but I just, I really do feel now looking back at my childhood as well, the social aspect is important at school is what I was feeling. But that to me seemed like the biggest piece of going to school as a kid because I wasn't, in many ways, I wasn't ready for a lot of the stuff I was introduced to. I really wasn't in terms of like, I was good at math naturally and Seth is too, which is great. But it was really, I kind of feel how important, thinking about all these school choices, really the community and the family home and how we interact and engage with the kid to, from my perspective anyway, raising my boys, that feels more important, like teaching them manners, taking them out, teaching them how to fish, teaching them about map reading and things like that from an early yeah. age, just the life skills piece, which I feel like everything else comes, you know, they're going to be exposed to reading and writing and they're going to get it eventually. It's interesting. Huh? It's, catch it's, up. It's, it's a kind of flipping the whole conventional education on its head thinking because, you know, conventionally those were the things you were supposed to sort of absorb just from being part of a family but the academics you have to go to school like, yeah right and now we're kind of saying actually it could also be the opposite of that well i you know i've been thinking recently because i do a career workshop every i mean almost every week every couple of weeks anyway i'm running a career workshop so i very much you know we talk about strengths and transferable skills and what skills are needed as we move into the future and what are people rewarding what are employers you know uh hr managers what are they looking for and a big thing that's been coming up recently just with watching what's happening in the world with the covid pandemic we have forest fire issues over here in general environmental issues population issue whatever it might be so that impacts work and so a lot of the stuff that people are needing moving forward are soft skills 
which is the ability to be adaptable, the ability to be empathetic and work well with a team of people. And a lot of things that you can teach in every day, it's that life skills piece, which yeah, sure you can learn it in school, but school has traditionally been, yeah, it's that heavy academic leaning, certainly in the UK. But actually the courses that I was doing, like the outdoor courses, how to work as a team, how to you know take on leadership roles, how to critically analyze information, all of those things. They were more valuable know. than the hard skill that you were actually doing. Yeah, and yeah. the hard skills. And another one I just came up with this week, talking to somebody, um, an HR manager, was they went to an HR conference. And I relate this back because this is, you know, how do we raise our kids to be successful in the world? And she was saying one of the, th- one of the really important things now is, that people are looking for is the ability to teach, to be teachable. Because things are changing so fast, whether it be things are being automated, truck driving, which is going to be automated, so, but they need truck drivers to oversee the system. So they need to be able to learn and grow. And so I think that ability to, to learn on the fly. Things. Things. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting because I do. I, it brings me back into the parenting and the focus that I when I do have Seth with me, the focus that I put onto him and, you know, the activities we do together. It's very much about that. It's like life skills, you know, how to make yeah. good choices and adapt. Yeah. I think uh, even the mindset, even just modeling the mindset that uh, we encounter a problem, uh, even just around the home. Uh, well, for example, anytime that a toy breaks, it gets shows up in this bowl on the counter and they expect kind of expect me that I'm going to- You're the fixer. You're the fixer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, um, especially my youngest, my four-year-old now, he is so interested in watching and learning how would I go about fixing something? Whether it's his remote control thing or it's just gluing something together. He wants to be a part of that. And he wants, yeah, he wants to know. And I think fostering that curiosity for something new, um, the mindset of saying we can try and take care of this ourselves. Um, just even the idea of like going to YouTube to learn something new, learn a new skill. What tools do I need? How am I going to try and fix this myself? I mean, I've learned a thousand new things since being a homeowner. Whereas and since, and since YouTube, it's since YouTube. And whereas, yeah, my parents in that generation really feel like they're locked, like, they are this profession and if it's outside of their career field, they're going to have to hire out the expert to deal with the leaky right. pipe, leaky right. pipe or yeah. whatnot. So I do my own electrical and I do my own plumbing and, and my four-year-old's always there, like learning about the tools. Uh, you know, he, he can only absorb so much, but I think what he's yeah. seeing is that idea of self-sufficiency and like independence that you could like he, he could do that too one day. Yeah, 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 very much. I'm I must admit I'm gonna give props to my dad on this because he was trained to install central heating. I think I got that right. I uh, got a diploma, I think. And yeah, I watched him do a lot of that at home. But sometimes to, <laughs> sometimes to a fault, you know, it might not be perfect every well, yeah. Well but, it's, it would it's tricky without the internet, of course. Yeah, I you get it without I, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So going on to that though, so I remember too, I really want to check in with you about this because I didn't see it through. I remember while Sage was pregnant, 
So with our little boy, Indy, that you had suggested, and you're going to have to sort of remind me what this was. You had suggested a CD. Hopefully this is... I laughed when you said CD. Yeah. Is it a CD or a DVD? Are you there something? Maybe it was like a podcast, but something that we should listen to yeah. around making decisions about raising your child so that we were both on the same page. So can you remind me what that was? Because I honestly have forgotten and I'm interested. <clears throat> I think it'd be an interesting thing to share. Uh, my wife talked me into trying this online parenting course um, and because I think that's what it's about because I did download all those files and I've actually re-listened to them. Whoa, stop, stop that. This is the, so it's a parenting course. Well, it's, this is an yes. addition to the parenting course. What is this? No, it's, course? it is a parenting course. Um, so there's a, a stream of, there's a psychology stream that's like called attachment parenting. Maybe you've heard of that. Attachment parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a counselor that was kind of, doing doing that for a group online um and i think prior to you know my first couple of years probably as being a dad like i don't think there was any i don't think i was really fully prepared i didn't really understand what it would mean okay being and, a dad uh, yeah right. i mean i knew i knew there's gonna be like this physical aspect of like especially when there's a newborn like just running around and getting things done and you know being very selfless like i need these are things i need to do um i guess my initial um intuition was okay i'm now the protector and provider of this family that's kind of like the, the very traditional kind of yeah yeah i think that's sort of and i didn't do that like consciously but i think that was sort of there from the beginning it's the blueprint but um once i took this course one of the things that really altered my perspective here it was something like this was something pretty simple but it, it ended up becoming a, a point of conversation so it was uh, profound as well and uh basically saying you know when you bring a child into the world you're not just responsible for a human being you're responsible for a human becoming and that's kind of maybe hear that it sounds kind of weird but i guess the, the point of it is is that it's not that you just add on this like responsibility to your life in one moment in time but like that life is going to grow and everything you do every single day will have an impact on it yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so it was profound for me and that's kind of for me that's where i like track back to how i became i'm a kind of more intentional and active participant in my child's you know early on the first two years my son was obviously extremely attached to his mom and i think i didn't really know what else i could do of course now that we have a second child there's the opportunity um there was the opportunity immediately for me to spend a lot of time with the oldest when he was a new when the second child was a newborn i think one of the things that i've been really intentional about doing I spend some time playing like playing I think a lot of dads are happy to have their kids join in doing what they like doing um, but I've been really intentional with my 10 year old to be interested in and play beside and play with him what he likes doing you know I definitely see myself in him he loves 
these uh, strategy games like role playing and like the really dorky stuff. And, but they, <laughs> but they suck up as a dork right now. They'll expect a lot of they expect a lot of time out of me to to engage in that. Yeah, but I try to find time to do it. Um, and I know that's something my dad was never able to. Or never, so you're talking like thought. you're sitting down and doing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and it's going to be multiple hours. Do you just just out of interest, you said that? Do you extend that to another father and son kind of setup? Like, do you, or is it very much yourself and Tig kind of jumping in on that together? Oh, that's mostly just just me and Tig. Um, yeah. uh, there is a pandemic going on. You should. There's pandemic. That's uh, we did a friend of mine and his son. We did introduce them to tennis. So this is Seth. I'm guessing, but so yes, my friend Seth. Yeah. And so their boys took up tennis and that this, so I guess is a case of them seeing, seeing something I enjoy and wanting to sort of emulate that. And so we'll, we often actually don't even play together, but um, they'll play next the court next to us. And uh, they really enjoy doing that, especially when we're there at the court with them. Yeah. So that's sort of, a, yeah. That's the crossover between you. Your, That's the crossover. Your, I think. Interest. Yeah, I like what. You, yeah, I really appreciate what you just said, actually, because I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, as someone who's a skier, climber first, living in the back of a van and climbing every day when I can, you know, yeah. before before kids, pre kids, just me and the dog, kind of situation. And, but this year, I not not once did I touch rock. I can't remember a year has passed where I haven't right. been on the rock and because it I'm, wasn't in I'm, your child's interest they don't climb when they're that young they may scramble around but you know I'm really dragging them out to probably not have the best time that I could have because I can't focus on getting to my level climbing because I'm too busy taking care of him and he's not really there because he's so young and having taught kids you can get them up something at six years old but really until they're nine ten they're not really getting seriously into it. In my experience, yeah, I'm sure there's other variations, but but yeah, so I've already shifted. So when he was in the skate park so much with the scooter, um, and scooter is a little bit awkward, so I ended up picking up a skateboard. But either way, we're both in there on wheels in the skate park. And that's why I did it. I put pads on, I, you know, touch wood, uh, no injuries. So but it's been really fun and it could, you know, other things would be biking. I'm not a downhill biker. He loves biking. So I don't know if you've heard through the grapevine, through our mutual friend, Vince, who I've already spoken to on uh, episode number one of this podcast, actually, we went biking together and I hadn't been before. I, I don't know how to downhill bike. Uh, it was a bit of a mess. Seth's like he's new into it. So he was kind of at his limit as well, but that's what he loves to do is bike. And it was fun. And I'm like, I can see myself at a later age now getting into downhill biking, even though I've avoided it all these years because there's so much injury potential. I would I say more, same. more than skateboarding because yeah. it's high speed, right? I had the exact same experience. I did my first downhill run. Well, I guess my second. Oh, yeah? Um, with, with my son, with the tag this summer. We did oh, uh, fair, fairly same. high. We did the same. Yeah, Why it was should so it, fun. I should it was nice. Well, it's yeah. super nice. It was the lowest section that we did. And I would say, because Seth is just, he just turned seven. It was a bit of a push. And he's, what I figured out, he's a sensitive, really, actually, a lot more sensitive, given that he can really charge 
and he's a redhead too and he's got that fire in him he's very sensitive and that was a push for him i think for his age for seven there's other seven-year-olds here that do it but because he doesn't have the access in the uk it was yeah. a little bit of a push yeah. so hopefully next year you know that's i think uh the bennett i guess one of the the joys of being a dad if you have if you have the time with your child is that you can kind of revisit being a kid in a way like yeah just playfulness um, i like the, i agree i think the playful thing i mean a friend of mine said to me a while back he was like yeah these kids these kids are going to keep us young he was 47 oh. and the second kid was on the way and he was like yeah it's gonna they're gonna keep us young and i do agree well, and if you don't go that way then it's just going to be a slog i think you're right you find the lightness in it and the yeah. fun and that's actually to be fair where skateboarding comes in is it's actually just fun and there's no i don't feel the pressure with any of these things that i do with him to perform at a certain level <laughs> and i know by 11 12 13 i won't be able to keep up on a bike yeah and just to let you know what i find is i just let myself go with it and i because i feel like there's friends out there and you know you pick up on social media and things like that or just through conversations that you know i think some people struggle in that in giving themselves up you know to what's happening and so they yeah. try and go climbing they try and find those you know those times where yes. they can push themselves in their own sports but for me i don't want that strain the extra stress yeah. in my data so you know what i think it comes to is a lot of acceptance there is there is definitely a mindset in some of people we probably mutually know where to prove to the world, I guess, that as a parent, you haven't changed who you are. You can still do everything you did. So you, you, you lug your newborn baby to the top of a mountain and take a picture, put it on social media. <laughs> like, like that was somehow doing that kid a favor, but you're really just sort of showing that, trying to show that you can still do all the things that you did before. And yeah, I kind of just cringe when I see those things because I think they're missing out on the possibility of really sort of being where their child is at and doing something like appropriate for the benefit of their child. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like I've had, you know, one thing I would say, and I forget how old you are, but I'm 46. So I had Seth when I was 39 and now, yeah, Indy's just cut. He'll be two in January. And so I think for me, a part of it is like, you know what? I have had my time. I can give a few years up as long as I maintain my fitness and my sort of strength. So I do try and train in climbing. I, yeah. have, a, I have a bouldering wall in my, in my basement, but yeah, so I try and keep it up so that I'm not going to like suddenly fade hard. And then I'm, totally. hitting, I'm into my fifties and I'm like, you know, getting injured and things like that. So I think that for me is really important. And yeah, I don't know where you're at with that, but do you, do you find it easy to find time for yourself for that kind of stuff? Uh, you know, I have to remind myself, but I, I do. I, uh, I mean, I've got, I've got skiing, ice hockey, and tennis in the summer. Those are kind of the things that I do. Activities. It's really just about for me. Um, Did you and, say hockey? Uh, yeah, ice hockey. Um, oh, so you're in a you're in one of the beer leagues. It's um, just recently it, can't it? recently shut down again for COVID again. Oh no. So yeah, that's a like, fit sport. That's a, I would think I've never done it. Oh, I mean, that to me looks like a, if you, if you're doing that regularly, you're all keeping in good shape. 
I'm doing fine. Uh, people my age, most people I know that. I so what do you know? Playing. How old are you now? Forty-three. Oh yeah. But In a lot of people mind. have had to give that up. Uh, right. Because it, because it can be high contact, even if it's a no, even if the rules say no contact. Oh really? Collisions yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ice hockey is really just something I do for myself. There's not really any point in. I'm not a big proponent of ice hockey for little kids. It, I mean, obviously, it's it's great for some people, um, but it tends to be in Canada at least such a one-dimensional lifestyle. Right. If you if you yeah, commit yeah. to ice hockey, that's all you can do. It's all you can do. I agree. It's all about steering the kids. I have these conversations often around here, steering the kids <laughs> away from the hockey. Oh, look, skiing. Yeah. Let's go skiing together. That looks fun. Yeah. Have fries and burgers. And so, yeah, with ice hockey, it's something that happens after the kids are in bed. Nobody really, nobody in my family, they see I have a bag and sticks and stuff, but it's just something I so do. Hang on, you're motivated enough to get to hockey at, isn't this like 11 o'clock in the evening? Uh, that would be a later game, but uh, yeah, after bed, that's what 9 o'clock. Yeah. See, I, I, that's one thing as a parent. At 9 o'clock, I can hit the couch but I can't do much else. I don't know. I can't. Good for you. There's, for me, there's um, the worst time of the day is right up like bedtime, seven, whatever, seven to nine. I'm like a zombie. <laughs> but if I can make it to nine without falling asleep, I can go to midnight. Really? You can push yeah. on? Yeah, I just get the second wind, but it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's tiresome, the whole bedtime uh, well, what, what time are you up in the morning? What's the morning shift right now with the food? Well, you know, we've learned to just to like sort of manage because we Tig was a bad sleeper, Dar is also a bad sleeper. Tig is now a good sleeper, but it doesn't really matter because there's Dar. And um, Dar is now sort of trained to at least he won't wake up till six. Six a.m. is the earliest to wake up. See that, hang on a minute. You're saying he's not a great sleeper. Six o'clock to me right now. Given right. our situation here, yeah. that's sounding pretty good. So, yeah. can you just for, break break down? Not a good sleeper. What is not okay. a good sleeper? Well, for his first two years, he had really bad. Uh, can't remember what's called. It's it's basically a type of reflux from being. Oh, that just like sounds nasty. Yeah, it's almost a congenital thing from as, like a childhood issue. Um, but he basically would be waking up every thirty minutes on a cycle. Yeah. Every 30 minutes screaming because he's cause he's got reflux and wow. has to be held, has to be held. And if he gets breast what, what, what age is this? This for is the first two years. Oh. Every night. You guys are just going crazy at this point. I can only imagine. Sleeps for half an hour, then you have to hold him for half an hour. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. Are you when this happens, are you guys taking turns? Like how does that work? Yeah. Or are you working so you sleep and then that's often what happens is the guys on the couch sleeping because they got to go to work and the mom's kind of taking care of the night uh, you know definitely more of it was on janet especially early on right with the um, feeding as well yeah. but you have the feeding but we did take we did somehow take turns i don't remember how it all worked out but yeah i was i was affected janet was affected even more so no doubt uh yeah. long kind of long-term fatigue yeah um, now he basically will wake up once or twice and he gets, he sleeps to at least six, sometimes usually six, six to six thirty. Um, so things are getting a lot better. Yeah. yeah that's not, no, that's just turned, really just turned four. 
Oh, that's the fun. Just so fun. He's so much fun. Uh, quick question. Did you get a ski pass? Did you guys, are you passes this year or not? You know, um, this sounds like yeah, a no. We, we're not. And I don't, I don't really see the need yet, but right. part of it is again, with that age gap, like, yeah, if, if we just had the one, we would have gotten one because we, we Tig is really hooked He's up. into it, isn't he? He's really into it. All he's done I all the runs. That. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much at Whitewater. And, That's great. Um, he would go every every day, every time he had a chance to, if he could. And uh, that's great. But this is kind of like where it comes in. You have to make some compromises for everybody involved. It's not it's not a good fit, especially with the pandemic rules. Like there's nowhere. The benefit of not having a ski pass is when the weekend rolls around, you get to choose what you want to do. <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I agree. Instead of feeling yeah. obligated to go to the hill. Always. Um, and choosing yeah. what you want to do is great because we can also choose to do nothing. And like, if you could sum up, like, what do you think the role of the modern dad is now? Just to put you on the spot. Yeah, to sum up. Um, hopefully, I think I've covered some things. I guess. Um, oh, for you know, sure. Yeah. Nurturing their curiosity in the world around them. I guess that opens up to like, I haven't said this explicitly, but I really think something I want to be able to do. And my dad did it some extent which I, i'd still appreciate for it about him is just being open-minded about the world about some trying something new about um not thinking that our way is the only way and that other ways could work as well whatever we're talking about you know so um that's one thing i'd like to instill and so the, I guess ability to, uh, the ability to keep an open mind to different ways of doing things. Yeah. I mean, my hope is that they will venture out of this little town and experience new cultures and new, new worlds to explore. And um, my parents were very adventurous in that way. And, you know, they would take us out. I mean, I still remember being introduced to like this Japanese restaurant where they ordered me this octopus and eel dish in egg, egg custard and they expected me to try it. Like they, they got the, they got the craziest thing on the menu. I was like seven years old. It's like one of my memories. Oh, give me French fries every time <laughs> Yeah. at that age. Yeah. Did you eat it? I tried it. Oh, you it did. Good terrible. You. Yeah. Yeah. I would have had it a was traumatic struggle with that, <laughs> but I appreciate that. They made me, they made me try. Um, that's fun. I think that's fun. And uh, yeah, just, you know, demonstrating um, kindness, I think. I think as obviously, you know, conventional dads are usually a little bit lacking in terms of their like emotional responses and connections. And, and I think, you know, just to really whether it's, you know, kindness to an animal or kindness to other adults or children. I think there's something or there. The, or to the wife. Yes. And how they <laughs> see us interact with our partners. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's challenging. <laughs> but it's a, yeah. it's a goal. Yeah. Especially when you're not sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you taking this time. I know you're a busy man with two, two kids. 
the differing needs, those different ages, but it's been great to connect and there's still more that we want to talk about. So whether yep. it's on the podcast, bring me back person, next season. Yeah, definitely. But uh, All right. we'll be in touch. Bye, Blue. Okay. Thanks, man. And now for a check-in with my favorite psychologist and fellow dad, Todd Kettner. Okay, Todd. So talking to David, um, who is an old dear friend of mine. And so I was really enjoying talking to him about education and as a teacher raising kids in the community where we are, which is rural, very mountain lifestyle, lots of different schooling options. And we were just talking around, yeah, how important it is for kids at a young age to learn their academics, to learn the English, the math, you know, their times table and so on, um, over play, like just play and nature and just feeling that sense of warmth within the family and the community, the things that I naturally sort of lean into over the sort of academic. Now, I'm interested what you think about that. Yeah, you know, kids... Kids are not only resilient, but they're um, curious. So whatever we provide them more with, um, they'll soak in and they'll fill in the gaps in other ways, right? And so I think uh, having an intentional reason and strategy about whether we're moving in one direction or the other um, with kids at a young age is important um, because that will then inform um, how we, how we, um, Blend, blend the two, you know, the, the creative, outdoor, free-flowing type of experience. Um, you know, if I may, just a, a brief uh, anecdote that might illustrate a little bit. Um, we, we took our kids to uh, um, live on a sailboat, old sailboat in the Caribbean for a couple of years when they were six and eight. And, you know, got, got a lot of feedback like, oh, you know, that's so great. Got a lot of feedback like, Oh, you know, like, what are they going to do about school? They're missing out on their education. You know, that's really far away. And isn't that dangerous for kids? And um, I bought a Norwegian couple that had been doing it with their kids who were two, six, and nine, right? So, like, you know, um, we, we were waiting a long time for a six and eight year old compared to their two year old, right? And um, when, when we got back to Nelson, um, um, we went to register our kids for the the new school year and they said uh, well no they were they in school in last year uh no they weren't uh, uh we were away traveling kind of homeschooling they said uh um well did you register with the uh, ministry of education I'm like no we didn't know that well they'll have to kind of go back to the grade they were in when they they would have been when they left and he said actually how about this why don't we put them back in the grade um that they that they would you know are in for their age with their own friends because um, we think that's important. And if if they're floundering in a month or so, we'll have the conversation again. Of course, when we lived on sailboat, the kids' natural curiosity um, was to learn, right? So we'd come back from snorkeling and they'd push each other out of the way to get to the the fish guide book first because they wanted to look up and identify the the type of fish and the type of coral that they'd seen, right? So yeah, um, kids are gonna. Um, it up one way or the other and yeah we did some math um but it sort of devolved from um you know uh, those quick math minute spread uh worksheet things which uh you know they have a place right repetition is good for learning and then but they kind of bore the heck out of kids right and math became you know distance equals rate times 
time on the maritime charts, right? That was math. Well, yeah, real life situations where they're applying math. Did they get? Did they have experience with compass and math? That if you're on, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Wow. I love that. I didn't realize that you guys did that. That's fantastic. Um, I find that really inspiring. And so, so that being said, now they're back in school as well. Have you, I mean, they've now, they're at the age now when I know one, have they both graduated? Uh, yep, they both graduated now and uh, looking towards uh, um, post-secondary. So given that experience at a young age, you can now see, look back and see, like there was no impact long-term to them taking that time out and they caught up and it wasn't an issue. A slight clarification, no negative impact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good one. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Oh, I love yeah. that. Great story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, where do you, I think maybe answer it in that, but I just wonder, in a community where we are, we have a private Catholic school, we've got a Waldorf school, we've got a wildflower school, which is based very much, I believe, around the Finnish, there's a, an approach they have in Finland. Um, which is like multi-age classroom. We have what else do we have? We have a we have so many options in this area. It's crazy um, for such a small community, relatively. So how important? I wonder. Family, community, and school. I've found in the kids that I've worked with in outdoor education that it really shows when the when the family really care, when the school and the teachers really care. And then again, the community that's surrounded by. I think that's the biggest thing that I see. And I don't think, I think they're all equally important. Certainly in the, the, the stages of a young life, before, you know, maybe secondary school, things change, teenage years. But in a young life, just that nurturing, how important is that, that nurturing, a sense of, to, not to get too cheesy here, but just that, the love, the love that they feel and how important that is. Action is always key, right? And, um, you know, I think a lot of educational theorists and, and development psychologists would um, talk about that being a foundation to uh, learning, right? Who do you want to learn from? Someone that cares about you and uh, understands you and has empathy for your situation? Or someone who's equally good at math or writing, um, but, you know, doesn't make that connection with kids? And, you know, uh, for me, that that's another sort of embarrassment of riches in our areas as teachers and educators and uh, um, educational assistants and support staff so from from all of these schools, you know I, I know them and the uh, kids that uh, through their systems and yeah they're different ways they're different avenues um, and they're all they're all just so grounded in um, connection with kids you know, not every single teacher in every single school, but I, I, I could honestly differentiate between um, all of the schools you just li listed and the teachers that work in them in terms of their connection with kids. Yeah, yeah, I love that because very much both of my boys inevitably are going to be raised differently because one is in the UK um, and one is here and very different school system, different setup. But I, I really believe that if they feel love and they feel that connection with their family and with the wider community and they feel they've got other parents that can pick them up from school and look after them, maybe the weekend when one of the parents, you know, that kind of sense of community, then they're going to be fine. And like you say, they'll just pick up knowledge along the way and they'll 
have an interest in one area which will drive them for a while. Maybe they burn out from that interest. They go into another, but they're going to be fine. They're going to learn and grow and, you know, absorb everything around them. But if they have that love and connection, I really do believe that. And as long as my boy overseas feels that, I really do believe that he's going to be fine too. And that's what I work very hard. So, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that story of the uh, sailing adventure. That's got me thinking. Great. Always great to talk to you, Blue. Cool. We'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks for joining us this week on Dad Without Borders. The full list of episodes can be found at dadwithoutborders.com. And for updates, follow on Instagram at dadwithoutborders. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google, or radio.com. While you're at it, if you enjoyed listening or you know any dads that might find value in this show, please share the podcast with your friends. Dad Without Borders will be back next week with another dad and further insights with Todd Kettner.